Hi there, I'm Anna and welcome to the Woke Tea Podcast, where we come together to create awareness about socially liberal causes such as anti-racism, feminism, environmentalism, LGBTQ plus rights and body positivity. Instead of debate, we create dialogue. We don't blame game, we demand change. We be the change. Let the revolution begin. And today we have a sustainability advocate, international speaker, author, TEDx speaker, and founder of Hannah for Change, an NGO dedicated to fighting issues that impact the planet. Hannah has received numerous honors and awards, including the People's Magazine, 10 Girls Changing the World, Teen Wokes, 21 Under 21, and many others. Meet Hannah Testa. Hi, thank you so much for having me, Anna. When did you realize the major impact of plastic on the environment as it takes many years for them to decompose? When did it like hit you how grave the predicament was? Yeah, that's a great question. I first really learned about plastic pollution when I was around the age of 10 or 11. So several years ago, I'm 18 now. So um, I knew a little bit about plastic pollution. I've heard of it before, but it wasn't until I watched the documentary called Plastic Paradise. And that documentary is talking about plastic on Midway Island. Um, so it's talking about the impact of plastic in the ocean on a country, on an island that no one lives on. No one actually lives on this island. It's all inhabited by like nature. Um, and albatross completely cover the island. Millions of them migrate to this island every year. And it's right in the middle of the Pacific Ocean. And it, she was showing how much plastic, the world's trash was accumulating on this island and how it was having a direct impact on the albatross species there, but then also talking about human health as well. And so that completely blew my mind to see all the plastic that you know we use in our daily lives, even just like in our own communities, how it's making its way you know, thousands of miles away and having such a huge impact on this animal species, but also just on our oceans in general. And I knew I had to do something. I had to speak up and help educate other people because I knew that if other people knew about the problem, they would want to be a part of the solution. And at the time, plastic pollution was not as mainstream of a topic as it is today. Like now when you talk about plastic pollution, people know quite a bit about it at least. Um, But back then, around eight years ago, no one really knew what it was. They might have heard about plastic in the ocean, but that was probably about all they knew. So I wanted to do as much as I can to educate people on the issue so that they can be a part of the solution, you know, changing their own habits in their daily lives to refuse single-use plastics, um, but also to pressure, you know, businesses um, and also politicians to create effective policy just to help create a better world for us all. That is so inspirational. Um, My second question is what has been your most memorable campaign or rally because you have done a lot of them so which was the most memorable one that's a tough question i would probably say um when i created plastic pollution awareness day and i do talk about that a bit in my book it's actually the very first um section of my book i'm talking about the second year 
I had Plastic Patient Awareness Day and I think that was such a pivotal moment for me. So I'm gonna kind of explain what that story is to you all listening today. I established Plastic Pollution Awareness Day in the state of Georgia when I was 14 years old. That was the first event of its kind and we had over 90 organizations across the globe supporting the event. It was featured on like CNN, the Weather Channel, um, like hundreds of thousands of people saw the event and now there's youth in Ohio and British Columbia, Canada that have recreated the day where they live as well. So it's not just in Georgia anymore. But I created Plastic Pollution Awareness Day first in 2017 and I had quite a few roadblocks and hurdles um, just because how um, the plastic lobby just didn't want to have an awareness day. Um, so they made it a bit of a challenge <laughs> to get the day in the first place. And one of the things that I had to compromise on was not speaking on the Senate floor. And that would mean I would speak to all 56 state senators in Georgia. Um, but fortunately, the following year in 2018, I got that opportunity um, to speak on the Senate floor. And in the introduction of my book, I'm talking about how I you know, was sitting in the room waiting for my turn to speak and there was another adult speaker before me talking and no one was paying any attention to her. And I, my heart sank, it <laughs> fell into my stomach as you know, I've worked so hard for this moment, I've waited for over a year to be on this podium and to kind of realize, oh, they're not listening to this adult, so why would they listen to me like a teenager? I was, uh, 15 at the time. So I was very upset, but I knew I still, you know, I fought to be here. I'm going to do the best I can do and still speak my message. Um, so when I got to that podium, after a couple sentences, there was silence and all the eyes in the room were on me listening to what I was having to say, talking about plastic pollution and how it's going to impact our future, our generation. And I think that was the moment for me when I realized that young young people and our voices are so powerful and so captivating and we shouldn't let other people try and stop us and even for our own selves like I thought that I uh, you know I wouldn't be listened to just because of my age but being able to kind of break down that barrier um, proved a message to me but also hopefully to the world that young voices are so empowering. I find that very inspirational at only 15 you created an entire day just with a fellow senator. It's Plastic Pollution Awareness Day in your state, and that breaks all age barriers. So, yeah, I, yeah, so I always thought that, you know, to be involved in any form of policy, any form of legislation, you had to be a politician or you had to be a voting age to play any role in it. Um, but I had my first meeting with a senator when I was 13. And I've been heavily involved in like policy since because I think it is so important for youth voices to be heard in uh, a political space because these people in positions of power, they are making decisions for our future. And oftentimes it's older generations in these positions. And without our say of our generation, um, you know, they're making these decisions and we don't have a say in it. it and it directly impacts our future. So it's so important to have intergenerational conversations, having young people have their voices heard um, and have these conversations so that we have an equitable future for us all. I agree with that. It's great to start young, especially with you. You started at four, right? I really, yeah, I first got started 
when I was 10 in activism, but I've always just had a passion for our planet and for animals. And it really first started when I was around five years old. Um, I mean, I've always had a passion, but I love spending time outdoors. I love being out in nature. And when I realized that a lot of my friends didn't have that same connection to nature that I did, I was completely shocked and I wanted to be able to provide that for them. So I asked my mom if I can grow tomato plants from seeds to give to each of my classmates so that they can start their own garden because I had a garden growing up and I loved, you know, tending to the garden and watching, you know, my seeds grow and being able to make strawberries and tomatoes and get to eat it. And um, so on Earth Day, I was able to give my classmates all of their tomato plants that I grew um, and talk about Earth Day and why we celebrate it every year and why it's so important to take care of our planet. And I did similar Earth Day presentations from kindergarten through fifth grade. And that's kind of, at that point, that's when I started really began my activism work. I found that story very sweet. You had mentioned it in your book and it was the favorite part of your book for <laughs> me. Um, many people are revolting against the plastics industry using different and creative ways like art or music for an example about plastics negative impact on the environment animal well-being and human health. But what do you think is the most impactful way and significant way to get the message across, especially to lawmakers and government machinery? Mm, that's a good question. And whenever you're talking to decision makers like that, it's always important to do your research on that person and kind of target your message to your audience. So like for me, you know, I love animals, I love the planet. So if someone came to me and was talking about those core issues about plastic pollution, and that's how I first got involved from watching that documentary, that's what got me motivated to get involved. But for other people, they may not care as much. So if I approach that with the same message, they won't be as enthusiastic as like I would be. And so primarily for people in government positions, they care more about, you know, their constituents, the people they're representing. So like human health, they also care about like jobs and the economy. So by targeting the issues onto like plastic pollution affecting human health, um, talking about if they're coastline communities or if there's lakes and rivers in their districts, also important to kind of hone it and bring it home for them as well. Um, but also like jobs in the economy and you know shift towards like renewable energies or sustainable businesses instead of having you know these big plastic industries. I do agree with that. That's a Great example. Um, the movie or the documentary, Plastic Paradise, the one that you, that's one that started, that sparked in you, um, it released in 2014. Has the plastic garbage issue improved or degraded in the Pacific Ocean since that? Mm, that's a good question. I would probably say it's gotten worse just because the amount of plastic we're still pumping out and using, even though, you know, everyone knows about plastic pollution, at least to some degree, people are doing something about it. Um, but there's still an insane amount of plastic entering our oceans every year. I think it's estimated 18 billion pounds of plastic enter our oceans every year. And that's equivalent to one truckload every minute. So we're still putting all this plastic into the ocean intentionally and unintentionally. So um, it's, having a huge impact on our oceans and of course there's cleanup efforts going on but we're going to have to focus more on the upstream solutions like stopping the plastic in the first place from being produced or um, you know voting with our wallets and trying to not 
buy or use as much plastic as possible. Um, and in the plastic world, we have an analogy of um, if you have a bathtub that's overflowing and you have to you know, do something to stop it, you're not gonna grab a mop first, you're gonna turn off the tap. So instead of you know, focusing on the cleanups first, you wanna stop it from the source. So uh, cleanups are of course so important, um, but right now people are trying to stop the source, try and stop plastic from still entering the oceans as much as possible, and then we'll focus more on the cleanup initiative. So again, in our oceans, it's still really bad. There's still a ton of plastic in the ocean and cleanup is actually very hard to tackle. Um, if you're like on a beach and that's fine, but if it's like out in the ocean, uh, plastic has all different kinds of densities, all different shapes, colors. Um, so it's not one floating mass in the ocean, which I think a lot of people um, misinterpreted. There's not like a floating island in the ocean of plastic. The plastic gyre in the Pacific is above water, below water. It's just most of the ocean has plastic, but it's not a simple solution to just you know grab a net and take it because it's all different sizes, but you also have to be mindful. It won't disappear. Yeah, it won't disappear and you have to be mindful of, you know, the other ocean life that's in there. You don't want to obviously get them stuck in the cleanup effort. So cleanup is still something that's, you know, being altered and new innovation is coming out to help uh, do that. And there's also some other groups like for ocean that is, you know, collecting ocean plastic and being able um, to make, you know, brand out of recycled plastic products. But again, there's still, even though cleanup is important, people are trying to focus more on the other solutions. Got that. Um, my next question to use on the lighter side, do you have any memory of a moment when you felt like a strong connection to nature and wanted to share it with your friends and family? Yeah, definitely that part when I was like in kindergarten and I wanted to share the connection that I had to nature with my classmates and kind of get them involved. Um, but I think I also just like to this day, I still try and do that. I try and spend time outdoors and get my friends to join me. Um, and during lockdown, a ton of people were going on walks. And I think that's because we, don't, we forget that we take advantage of, you know, spending time outdoors. So when we we're all forced to be inside, we were all like urging to go outside and go on walks or spend time outside and have fresh air. Um, that we, we really just took it for granted. So I think it was also um, an important moment for people to kind of reflect on that and realize how crucial our planet is, but also how, um, how much it impacts us as a person, you know, being stuck in your house, but spending time outdoors is so relieving and almost so like soothing and calming to just spend time outdoors. Um, so I'm always trying to, you know, get my friends and get my family to go outside and spend time with me. That's so sweet. Um, this is a follow-up to the second question. In a lot of your past interviews too, you have mentioned that youth needs to be involved to make real change. So can you tell us how we can do that when in our countries, the government prefers economic development over environmental protection? Mm, yeah, that's a good question. And it's, it's kind of difficult. There's not like a one solution um, because every country has different systems in place. They run their government differently and the involvement of their constituents varies as well. Here in the US, we constituents can play a huge role in their government, but I've also been to places and talked with young people where they're not allowed to have any role, um, you know, working with the people in power. So there's not one set solution, but for those kinds of situations where you can't really do anything policy related, 
you can still do like grassroots work and fo focusing more on the education and awareness. Um, but even just doing, you know, local campaigns or doing cleanups in your community. It doesn't have to be, you know, policy related, um, but you can still focus on, you know, within your own local community, even if you're like in a school, um, you know, doing something within your school community or doing um, policy within your schools instead of doing policy at a government level, doing one in your own, you know, little bubble that you have at school or at work. Um, those also have such a huge impact as well. Yeah, we do need to voice ourselves wherever it is at any platform. That is so true. Um, my next question, is the plastic recycling industry working or is it just the escape route for the plastic industry and governments to deflect from the real issue to reduce plastic use? You nailed it on the head. It's, <laughs> the, unfortunately, the plastic recycling system is not working. It, when it is working, it is great. But unfortunately, with plastic, it, it's not working. When you talk about paper and metal and glass, recycling is great but unfortunately because plastic is so complicated there's so many again colors sizes um different types of plastic it makes it so much harder to recycle and when you recycle plastic it's not 100 percent recycled into a new product so if i had a plastic water bottle and i recycle it it's not going to be a whole new water bottle it's going to be a small part of a water bottle and so that's something called down cycling so the more plastic we're producing, we can't recycle as much as, as much of it. But also because there's so much plastic that we're trying to recycle and there isn't much infrastructure for it, um, there's not buyers for the recycled products, we're actually shipping a lot of our plastic trash to other countries. And most westernized countries like the US, Canada, um, but also many countries in Europe, we're sending out cargo ships of our plastic trash to countries in Asia, mainly like Indonesia, India, China. Actually, China just recently announced that they're no longer taking our trash. Um, I believe in 2020 or 2019, they made that announcement that they're closing uh, their ports to our trash. Um, so now we're kind of scrambling to figure out where to put it and we're putting it in other countries um, and like Indonesia where um, they have a huge uh, river system and they're obviously Indonesia has a lot of coastline as it's like an island uh, countries, but um, it's already having a huge impact um, on some of the people that I know in Indonesia within their own communities because the plastic is really just sitting there. We call it recycling, but the plastic is sitting in these kind of landfills and creating these slums um, for the communities already there and it's ending up in the rivers and waterways and ending up into the ocean. And so I've had opportunities where I'm talking um, to decision makers and other people saying, oh, well, most of the plastic in the ocean is coming from Asia, so it's not our problem. Like, we don't need to do anything here in the U.S., but most of the plastic in Asia is coming from us. It may be from their coastlines, but it's still our trash. So it is so important that, um, you know, we do our part and uh, try and get involved as much as possible to reduce our own plastic footprint. Um, but also kind of make that connection because we're blaming other people for our problem. That is so alarming. If you think of it, that is really, really alarming. Um, according to um, technology and startups, talking about technology and startups, how, can, do, how far can they go to help save the situation? I think they can play a big role. And I, it's been so great to see how creative people get, especially young people in this space being able to create new innovation 
new technology to help be a part of the solution. Um, there's a lot of innovation coming out again for cleanups. Um, so people are figuring out how to best capture plastic without having an impact on the ocean and the marine life already there. Um, but there's also a lot of innovation on, you know, plastic kind of replacements or alternatives. Um, some are good, some are not as good. Um, like when you talk about bioplastics, um, they're better than plastics, but they're still not great. Um, so even like shifting to that, and there's other people that are making other bioplastics that are better. Um, but even just having, there's a lot of new businesses that are starting up that are, you know, plastic free or focusing on, you know, plastic free mission, um, making sure they're sustainable, which I think is so great that now as consumers, we now have options to choose from where beforehand, you know, there weren't as many options and it was a lot harder to live more of a zero waste lifestyle where now it's a lot more commonplace to have, you know, refillables or reusables. Talking about the zero waste lifestyle, sometimes, you know, we are doing um, things unconsciously like microplastics found in some of the shampoos and beauty products have now been blamed for killing marine life and also hampering with human fertility with some scientists predicting the end of humanity. Why are global leaders not making this the highest priority? Why are they deflecting? Why is it always one step forward, two steps back with so much misinformation? That is a great question. And I know we all wonder the same thing, um, but really, unfortunately, the true answer is fossil fuels. And we know the same reason climate change, even though it has such a global platform and people are focusing on the issue, not a whole lot's being done because climate change is the main source of it is the fossil fuel industry. And 99% of plastics is made of fossil fuels. Um, so it's the same institutions, it's the same systems in place that are causing both of these huge issues, not only for our planet, but also for our own human health. Um, but unfortunately, there's a lot of money in that industry. And a lot of those people are in positions of power or funding other people in positions of power. And that causes a whole lot of corruption, unfortunately, and um, a lot of inaction in these policy spaces. So that's why it's also important for you know, grassroots work for young people to get involved um, because unfortunately the money that's involved in the policy process has kind of made it a lot more foggier and a lot more harder right. for you know a lot of policy to be in place. Right, even I, I think that's true. Um, so what do you think a commoner can do to help the environment? Somebody like probably me, not like yeah. something super big, but something at my level. Yeah, so just again, I, you know, the common things are like not using single-use plastics like straws, bags, utensils, water bottles. Um, that's like the basics, which I'm sure most people know um, at least a little bit about, you know, not using plastic straws is probably the most common, um, but also things like um, trying to go secondhand shopping as much as possible, try and buy things in bulk instead of buying things you know, individually packaged. Um, I like to go secondhand shopping for clothes that are not made of polyester. Um, and polyester is a plastic material that's in like stretchy clothing, kind of like yoga pants, that kind of material. So trying to find things that are made of cotton um, or linen and other uh, fabrics that are not polyester or nylon, because those are two plastic right. materials. Um, and again, there's also ways to get involved as an individual, um, such as, you know, reaching out to your representatives, which again, I think a lot of people don't realize they can do that. 
um, but there's really easy ways to get involved when you see you know, policy that you really like. Um, there's national policy, statewide and local policy. Um, so you can easily you know, look online and see what's happening in your community or just nationally. Um, and a great example is the National Break Free from Plastic Pollution Act is being introduced uh, this week, the week that um, you and I are talking, which is March 22nd, um, is when it's coming out. And that's a great time to reach out to any of your representatives um, at the US level. So any of your um, House representatives or um, any of your state of your, your US senators and ask for their support on this bill. Because even though you may think you're one person and as you said, a commoner, um, you know, we really play a big role in these places and especially there's a huge power in numbers. So don't think as an individual, you're too small, um, especially when it, you already have such a huge impact as one person. But when you get, you know, your friends and your family and other people to join you and you have a huge number of people alongside with you and having your back, you have such a huge impact. That is so, so, so true. Um, my next question is something alarming or something, what is the number one plastic pollution fact that you want everyone to know? Like everybody should know this. Ooh, one, <laughs> I'm trying to, <laughs> so many. Um, but probably the one that I think is most startling is that on average, we eat five grams of microplastics every week. So that's about the size of a credit card of plastic we're eating every week. And that's from sea, our, the seafood we're eating and salt, um, but also from our drinking water. Um, I think beer intake as well. Um, I know you and I <laughs> don't drink beer, but for those that do, there's also microplastics in beer as well. Um, and But the big thing is our drinking water and our seafood um, is where we're getting a lot of plastics into our systems. And as you said, you know, there's research coming out about what that means for our bodies. Um, there's like endocrine disruptors, already finding it in organs. Uh, I think in de last December, scientists found microplastics in the human placenta. Um, they're finding it all in our bodies and they're still doing research on what that exactly means. And the research that has come out is showing that it's not good so far. So even, yeah, when we think about plastic pollution, and the reason I picked this one in particular, because that impacts everyone. You know, all of us have microplastics in us. Um, it's not something far away where we think, when we think about plastic pollution, we think of plastic in the ocean, you know, happening far away from us. And I know where I live, I'm hundreds of miles away from the ocean. So people in my community weren't really thinking about plastic pollution because they don't see it. When you talk about, you know, human health and all of us intaking plastic, I think that impacts everyone and that kind of touches on every person. And so that's a lot more, I think, startling and eye-opening. That seriously scared me, like the fact about finding plastic in the human placenta and everything. Um, so we know that you're vegan. Is it hard to be vegan? I mean, you must be getting temptations to eat cheese or pizza or simply just a glass of milk. Yeah, no, I'm actually, yeah, so I've been vegan for around three years and I haven't really had any temptations. I, there's That's so crazy. many great vegan options. I don't really have to miss out on anything. Um, and I've been vegetarian for most of my life. I, I stopped eating any meat, I think since I was around seven or eight, again, just for my love of animals. Um, so going vegan wasn't extremely hard and I already loved oat, um, almond milk um, and now I drink oat milk. So I didn't even like normal milk. So 
the glass of milk thing, never miss that. <laughs> um, but there's so many al vegan alternatives out there, but it's also um, so important to just like learn a little bit about veganism, which I think a lot of people kind of push away because it's a touchy subject. Um, but even just you know, doing some research and seeing how much it impacts your health, also our planet and also animals, which are kind of the three main core issues of veganism. Even just doing your part of, you don't have to go fully vegan, but just doing what you can trying to uh, reduce the amount of meat you eat or um, just animal products in general has, again, a huge impact. So, you know, I do, you, what you said is so true because um, when I do think of vegan, I feel like, oh my God, it's so overwhelming. How can I ever do it? But you know, if we do go one step at a time, I think we can achieve what you said. And it's also very beneficial to the planet and saving the environment. Um, so now we know you're an animal rights activist and even rescued a dog. So tell us about him. Yes, of course. So we have Butterball and he's a rescued golden retriever. Um, he's, um, he's pretty lovable, but he's very shy. Um, but yeah, he's, I want to say he's almost four actually. Um, and we got him when he was six months old. We don't know a whole lot about, you know, his old home life. Um, but he's still very anxious. He's very timid around certain people. Um, so it probably wasn't a good home life, but always a huge advocate for, you know, rescuing, rescuing animals instead of going to like puppy mills or um, breeders as much um, because there's so many animals in rescues and shelters that, you know, need loving homes. That is so cute. I would love to know more about him. But um, you have made a lot of difference when it comes to animal rights. You even raised tens and thousands of dollars in funds for awareness and support for horses, chimps, orcas, dolphins, elephants, rhinos. I can keep going on. And also <laughs> introduced the state bill to ban the trade of ivory, the rhino horn, shark fish, shark fin, and in 2020 collaborated with other NGOs on a federal bill to protect sharks. I mean, that is so amazing. What was a breaking point where you realized terrible and barbaric things were happening to a lot of young and innocent animals? Before I got involved in plastic pollution, actually, I was learning a little bit about endangered animals in school and I was finding more information online like any 10 year old would do. I went on the computer and was trying to learn as much as I can because Again, I always had a passion for our planet and for animals. So once I was learning that the animals I really cared about and animals that have roamed the earth for millions of years could go extinct during our lifetime was so heartbreaking to me. And I knew that involved even if these species are, that are going um, extinct, you know, live in other continents. Um, so I first got involved with black rhinos in Africa um, because of the poaching that's happening to them in Africa. And um, I started collecting petitions for them. And I, there's an organization already working on that campaign and I promised them 500 petitions. And a couple months later, I came back with 1,800. And so after, you know, having that success, um, and that was really the first time I really got involved in any form of activism, uh -huh. I was so inspired and motivated to keep going and realizing that I could have an impact on the animals that I care about. Um, so since then, that's when I started doing, you know, drives and fundraisers to help protect other animal species. That is so, so sweet. 
um, are you a feminist and do you believe in ecofeminism? Basically, the ecofeminist theory asserts a feminist perspective of the green politics that calls for collaborative action where there is no dominant gender in giving rise to the change environmentally. There's both female and male involved together. Yes, of, of course I'm a feminist and of course I'm an ecofeminist. Um, it's so important, um, you know, to also expand environmentalism um, into also gender equality, but also into social justice issues and racial equality. Um, and I think that's been expanding a lot more in the recent couple of months. Um, a lot of the issues happening um, in Atlanta, but also just in the US and just across the world as a whole, um, because it's mainly, you know, women, it's mainly people of color and low-income uh, low communities that are impacted by environmental issues, um, especially climate change, um, but also with plastic pollution. We put incineration sites and landfills um, in, in these communities um, and it has such a huge impact on, you know, their health and oftentimes they can't afford to get the help that they need to help better their health or move away from those sites. Um, so it's so important to also advocate um, more on a social justice issue, um, talking about the social justice issue side of environmental issues as well. Um, that is so true also. Um, without further ado, I would like to ask you the last question of the podcast episode on your motto, or one quote that really, really speaks for you and you would like to share it with us. One of my favorite sayings, and I actually said this in my TEDx talk, um, is that the weight of the world is not as heavy if we all lift it together. And I think that phrase really hones in on, you know, collaboration and working together. And even though as individuals, we have an impact that collectively and as a whole, we have such a larger impact because there are, again, such a huge power in numbers. Um, and when we're talking about big global issues like climate change, like plastic pollution and social justice issues, um, they may seem like huge issues and kind of like the weight of the world. Um, but when we all come together, it makes life so much easier. That is so deep. Thank you for listening to this episode. I hope the TV spilled could evoke some thought provoking ideas, which I would love to hear. So mail me at the Woke Podcast at the gmail.com. Or you can also find our Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram handles linked down in the description box. Don't forget to hit the subscribe button. Stay woke and stay tuned.